Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 15th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. We'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Galavan, Galavan, and Amelia, creators of the Digital War Room platform for e-discovery. And I'm John Semick, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is e-discovery without the high price tag. We're pleased to welcome as our guest, Bill Galavan. Bill is a founding member and managing executive of Gallivan, Gallivan, and Omelia, also known as GGO, and focuses on business development, market economics, and GGO growth. Prior to starting GGO, Bill was VP of Professional Services at Atenix, a litigation support technology firm formerly owned by Preston Gates and Ellis. Bill has spent over 20 years in the fields of computer forensics, managed security, system hardening, and legal information services. Thanks for joining us today, Bill. Uh, it's my pleasure. I'm a huge fan of Legal Talk Network, and I'm happy to be here. Well, thanks. Bill, let's let's jump right in, because lawyers are constantly complaining every time we lecture to them about the high cost of e-discovery. Why is the price so high? You know, I think um, the short answer is we have the wrong price metrics. You know, around the turn of the century here in 2000, um, the prices kind of started moving away from a single page or uh, document imaging into a per gigabyte um, or per document pricing. But those were still the wrong metrics because information has been exploding. I think um, Gary McMadden in his blog recently wrote that ESI is doubling every 18 months, certainly probably every two years. So why is the price so high? I think there's really three reasons. The applications that are coming out of uh, software vendors are creating larger and larger documents. So there's more kilobytes per document, more kilobytes per unit content, which is really what we're after um, in litigation. Uh, The price model, which follows sort of gigabyte pricing, is kind of colluded to make prices go up artificially high. It's not sustainable to have a um, two-time increase in fees for ESI processing and management every two years. I mean, it just won't work. And finally, I think because the industry was growing so quickly around the growth in data, we saw a virtual gold rush of uh, venture capital and private equity investment. And um, all of those investors have been, quite frankly, resisting price drops so that they could get the return on their money. And I think those are most of the reasons we see the price going up. Well, Bill, there also seems to be some trends that are driving the cost down. Can you talk a little bit about those trends? Sure. There's a lot of trends. Um, I can think of at least five. But I'll say that it probably all starts with the noble goal of our judicial system and rule number one of the Federal Civil Procedure, which basically says every proceeding has to be just, speedy, and inexpensive. Um, You know, I, I guess I discussed the VC and private equity gold rush uh, has created a, a situation where lots of people have flooded the market with uh, investment in tools and services. But because we have a crowded, crowded market, you're starting to see the commoditization of tools, and uh, that's driving the price down. 
probably the biggest reason is simply customers can't afford it. I mean, if sales and uh, margins on sales are only growing at 5% a year or hardly growing at all during a recession, you can hardly have a doubling in cost based on gigabyte pricing metrics, for instance, every two years. Um, So because of those two forces or issues, we're seeing new pricing models. Um, We're seeing a lot more fixed fee, and we're seeing the emergence of pricing models that really match cost with the value of compliance, not the volume of documents. Um, Finally, or the last two reasons, I think, is that in order to deal with these rising costs, we're seeing the bigger corporations are insourcing uh, a lot of their uh, e-discovery requirements. And by doing that, they're taking the margins out of the vendors and they're helping to drive the costs back down. Probably the fifth reason I see it's a variation on the second. The second being existing customers can't afford the rise in costs. But now we're seeing smaller firms, smaller clients, and smaller matters are being subject to the rules because the courts since you know 2006 and the new rules have kind of woken up and said even small people have to be held to these compliance requirements. So there's a new need for affordable tools at the low end where nobody really tried to mine that uh, that end of the market until very, very recently. Well, I think you're, you're absolutely right. The customers could not afford it, and that's why we're, we've increasingly seen a demand for accessible, affordable tools. So let's, let's talk about, if you would, can you tell us about Craig Ball's Edna Challenge? Sure. I've been uh, following that since its inception in 2009. And in fact, uh, we look to Craig often for uh, advice and insight on how we can reach the smaller market. Like, um, a couple of years ago, it was 2009, I believe, Craig Ball came out and said, hey, look, um, you know, the new rules are out, the, uh, the judicial system's woken up, and they're starting to require compliance at the, at the low end here. Or uh, let's call the low end, you know, matters where contemplated damages are probably less than $100,000 or somewhere in that range. And what he said was, uh, presume you have six custodians and, you know, five to ten gigabytes of data, can we actually, outside of people's time, can we actually assemble some tools or some processes so that we can do e-discovery for less than $1,000? And, uh, you know, the answers came back. They were all over the map. But in general, the answer was um, process flow and assemble some inexpensive point solutions like DT Search, QuickView Plus, and Acrobat. That, that's pretty much uh, what his challenge was all about. Beyond, beyond that, I know after, after Craig's uh, Edna challenge, and, and we're very fond of Craig as well, uh, Tom O'Connor came out with uh, uh, the Ernie challenge. Uh, I think the, the using the E-words here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Probably more of the matters um, where risk of noncompliance, and there's a lot of noncompliance, um, we're in the, we'll call them the medium-sized matters. Contemplated damages are less than a million, maybe. Uh, however, the amount of discovery might be 400 or 500 gigabytes. So I think Tom assembled a more realistic view of where compliance is going next and therefore requirements are next. And he suggested that, you know, we might need a multi-user environment where several attorneys are reviewing documents. The documents might... Uh, be as big as half a terabyte of data, and um, 
he was looking for solutions that uh, outside of people's time would be less than $10,000. So he sort of stepped up the Edna challenge to an order of magnitude more. And here, the problem got harder, believe it or not, than I think uh, the Edna challenge in so much as it's a lot of data and it's probably clear that uh, the compliance requirements um, are much harder when you're talking about not 10 gigabytes, but four or 500 gigabytes, especially given today's pricing models. In both cases, I think they're saying, you know, at the low end of the market where uh, there's, you know, in our industry, it's not really the 80-20 rule, it's the 90-10 rule, which is 10% of the matters and 10% of the big companies and uh, litigants or defendants are really generating 90% of the revenue. But how do we comply with the federal rules in the other 10 or 20%? It's interesting. I think that the Edna Challenge and the Ernie Challenge themselves ended up being an incentive for accessible, affordable tools. But are there other drivers that helped increase that demand? Well, yeah, my opinion is, quite frankly, it's it's case law and the new rules. Um, If you are following case law now, like a lot of people uh, prior to um, you know, the last four or five years looked at the proportionality rules that you can find in, you know, rule, I think, what is it, 26B2B uh, and B2C, the tiered production proportionality rules, and said, uh, for the kind of contemplated damages we're talking about, and given the fact that no one's really adhering to the rules, we can get away with being sloppy. If you remember... In the 70s, most tax compliance was for big companies and small companies were turning in uh, things on spreadsheets. Well, in the same way, uh, until the last few years, I believe that most of the smaller matters were loosely following the federal rules and presuming that the burden or the proportionality uh, rule would cover them for essentially not following them. And Now we're seeing more and more uh, negligence claims. They're getting for smaller and smaller matters, and you know, people are waking up. The judiciary's woken up and said, you got to follow the rules, and people are waking up and saying the risks are greater. Bill, Bill, how do you see the needs of smaller companies and law firms differing from the, the mega cases and multi-year enterprise uh, inform, information governance projects? Um, well, there's a number of differences. For the really large companies, um, they need to invest heavily because for instance, the serial defendants, the deep pockets, the um, you know Fortune 1000 companies, they have a lot to lose in litigation, and it's constantly going on. It becomes a normal business process. It isn't a one or two a year or a one-off kind of um, situation. So from their perspective, risk management, the risk is never going away. Uh, and they can afford to invest not just in litigation compliance, but in a whole range of compliance that falls under bigger tools with um, you know, some of the, the high-end tool sets that you'll see coming out of companies like Autonomy, where people are looking to comply not just with litigation holds and, um, and federal rule requirements, but with um, other things like SARS-Bain-Oxley and holding documents for seven years for the SEC. For the smaller firms and uh, the smaller companies, some of which uh, aren't subject to rules uh, that public companies have, or basically don't see litigation that much, they are 
they're, they're realizing that if they're not prepared or they don't invest or have other tools or have law firms that have tools that can get them through this litigation compliance knot um, inexpensively, they're going to risk losing matters or getting sanctions. So, um, so they've not been willing to invest in large, if you will, information governance projects because they don't need that, but they do need to comply with the occasional litigation. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Gallivan, Gallivan, and Omelia, creators of the digital war room platform for e-discovery. Do you need to strategize, review and produce documents for litigation, government investigations, or HSR second requests in a single e-discovery tool for every size and every type of matter? Digital War Room eliminates costly pre-processing of collected documents, realizing savings of 80% or more, and giving you greater control over e-discovery. Experience end-to-end e-discovery on your Windows desktop, on your internal network, or in our hosted review center. Download a free trial of Digital War Room Pro at www.digitalwarroom.com. That's digitalwarroom.com. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today we're talking to Bill Gallivan, a founder and managing executive of Gallivan, Gallivan and Amelia, about e-discovery without the high price tag. Bill, can you tell us about GGO and how the Digital War Room platform came about? Oh, sure. Uh, when the uh, litigation and the legal market started cooling off with the recession, uh, we chose to invest in product development rather than laying people off or essentially uh, harvesting the cash that uh, was otherwise tied up in growth. And we uh, we produced one product suite with three product offerings, and that's uh, Digital War Room Pro, which was our response to the Edna Challenge and to a, a market that had no tools. It's available for one person at a time. Um, it's a, uh, you can process through gross relevancy, simple analytics, review, redaction, privilogs, production, and even review productions, but it doesn't have all the features that our second product, uh, Work Group, Digital War Room Work Group has, which is, quite frankly, our response to the Ernie Challenge. Um, and Workgroup allows multiple reviewers. It's scalable, up to 50 or 100 users. But if you start with five users, um, it's under well under $10,000. And it includes extra features like built-in OCR, actually other people's OCR that we sub-license, and adverse data support, uh, and the scalability. So it's generally designed for law firms and uh, enterprises. And then, of course, we have a software-as-a-service model, which is taking um, work group on steroids and uh, adding project management and training users. And that is primarily what you see in the market now, which is um, hosted services. The only difference is we own and manage our own software as opposed to uh, purchase other people's software. Well, 
Bill, you talked a little bit about the costs and the and some of the the differences. Uh, are there any other primary features of digital war room that you you'd like to highlight and and maybe talk a little bit about what those costs are as well? Sure. Um, we always have and always will avoid gigabyte pricing. It just doesn't make sense. Um, at the high end for our hosted models, we uh, our primary metric for charging is a per reviewer per month. So it's a per seat fee. It's a user fee, not a gigabyte or a page fee. Um, we're very, very focused on cost management um, and defensibility logging. Uh, we have logs for everything that can be quickly reproduced. And um, we see compliance is simply pass-fail. This is not anything that if you spend three times as much, you get an A-plus at, you pass it or you fail it. It's just like tax compliance. Uh, I guess probably the only other thing is the suite itself is designed so that it's the exact same architecture. It can, you can migrate from pro to work group or pro to remote or work group to remote, and all work product is saved, and there are no additional fees. It's, it's just a matter of scalability. So cost management, defensibility, and uh, easy migration would probably be where we're sticking ourselves. And would I be correct in presuming that the Digital War Room platform meets the Edna and Ernie challenges? Oh, I guess the work group, too, including that, in your judgment? Uh, Pro was designed with a specific design requirement was was meet Edna and work group specific <laughs> design was meet Ernie challenge. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. The challenges were there for a reason. They're good challenges. There's a market requirement that's not being met. Um, you know, we've got to follow rule number one as well as uh, rule twenty six thirty three thirty four and all the others. You know, this is a great legal system we have. I'd hate I hate to see it kind of messed up by what I call the big stack bully. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a Samson and Goliath story, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Bill, you know I have to ask this question. Are, are there any other competitors in your space? <laughs> well, sure. Um, at the pro level, no. I, I, I'm not seeing real competitors. Uh, a tool for under 1,000 that can both process, um, filter, uh, review, uh, redact, and produce. Um, I'd, I'd welcome competition, quite frankly, but no, I'm not seeing it. Work group is in many ways for us a way to replace uh, legacy tools like summation and concordance, which we see in law firms that you can buy for under 10000 and still get five or ten people reviewing on them. Um, but those tools, of course, uh, tend to lack the processing and some of the back-end uh, production features. So I think there's more competition for Workgroup than Pro. And then Remote, which is really our software hosted by us, is in a very, very crowded market with some very large players that are hosting other people's software. Um, so, um, yeah, I could go through the whole list of those, but, you know, it's the DTIs and the Epics and um, the Applied Discoveries. There's just a number of hosted software solutions or expensive thirty, fifty, hundred thousand dollar solutions, but we just we sell work group at under ten thousand and suggest if you're gonna spend more than that, um, uh it probably means it's because you need some some other support, some project management. Work work group can handle terabytes and terabytes of data. Now you mentioned before when we were talking that you know some companies, even some law firms, are, are trying to avoid the EDD vendors and bringing e-discovery in-house. What advice would you give to a medium-sized corporation exploring that option? Yeah, um, my advice would be 
first, focus on record management. Uh, 80% or 75% of the risk, most of the risk, is pre-processing. It's in collection and uh, data mapping and forensic, uh, forensically sound collection, if you will, and the avoiding of spoliation and getting all the responsive documents in. Uh, when we're talking about costs, I'd say expect tools to commoditize. I'm going to do my level best to make sure that happens. So focus on people. I mean, technology is commoditizing, but we're going to then have a, a lack of skill set. So I'd say avoid the high-end tool sale. You know, compliance is, is pass-fail. All tools are almost equal when it comes to compliance, but all people are not. Invest in your people. Good, good, good advice there, Bill. Now, I'm going to take us a little bit different direction here and ask you to get your crystal ball out. Uh, how about any predictions on how e-discovery vendors and their, their software are going to uh, help serve lawyers who, who have these, these everyday cases rather than the, the big mega ones? Uh, predictions, sure. <laughs> if I'm predicting the future, I tend to like to look at history. And I've looked at the history of tax compliance. So in the 70s, I think I referenced this earlier, you know, uh, the government was collecting most of their money from the really big companies. It's the 80-10-90, or 80-20-90-10 rule. But in the 80s, the government started getting more and more aggressive with smaller and smaller companies. And until that time, most of the accounting tools and services were the big five at the time. Uh, They don't exist anymore. And, you know, $50,000, $100,000 IBM bundled solutions and servers and appliances. By 83, we saw... QuickBooks and Quicken's roll, Quicken rollout, you know, by 86, I'd say half of the companies or more that had less than $10 million in sales were suddenly able to comply and not failing their audits because they were using QuickBooks at, at $1,000 a pop or less, kind of like um, Edna or um, Quick, uh, QuickBooks Pro or other services at 10000 or less. And since then, the real focus and most of the money in that industry, again, has been local people in local metropolitan areas uh, servicing and managing QuickBooks for people uh, in smaller companies. So I'd say right now 80% of the, the business isn't tools and software and services. QuickBooks is still cheap and it's ubiquitous, but it's people that know how to operate those tools. So I think the same thing's going to happen. Compliance is going to go to smaller and smaller matters, just like it went to smaller and smaller companies. Tools are going to get cheaper and cheaper and more ubiquitous. And quite frankly, uh, people are going to be trained as not CPAs or not, you know, barred attorneys or even senior paralegals, but as bookkeepers, as um, e-discovery operators. And we might be able to see in the next couple of years where even those services are less than $100 an hour. So that's where I think it's going, I think. If you want to look to the future, you should always look for an example from the past. <laughs> yeah, we always talk about fax machines before we move on to our new technology today, because I remember all the lawyers saying they weren't going to use faxes and then they weren't going to use emails. And uh, that certainly didn't work out in the end. Uh, we sure want to thank you uh, for joining us today, Bill. John and I have long been fans of the Digital War Room product. And I know our computer technologists here speak very highly of it. And we hear great things from lawyers who use it. So thank you very much for sharing your expertise with us. Well, 
Thank you very much for having me. You know, I always love a chance to um, help rationalize our industry and make or communicate the message of making a dispute resolution affordable. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, Bill, we're very glad we could have you with us today. And could you please, for anybody who might want to contact you, could you please give them your contact information? Sure. Uh, you can find uh, information about uh, our technology and products at uh, www.digitalwarroom.com, or you can always call us uh, at um, any of our offices, but uh, we are headquartered out of Seattle, and it's at 206-652-1441. And that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all editions of this podcast at Legal Talk Network. Dot com or on iTunes. And you can find out more about Sensei's computer forensics, technology, and security services at www.senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.